The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. Great to have you here. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you from Dallas, Texas, which is my home base. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and is an extension of the work I do at Elise Cortez and Associates, so of course I love it. I'll get to my guest here in just a moment, but first let me thank my media partner and sponsor, Jobbing.com. If you're not familiar with them, Jobbing.com is the leading locally focused job board in the nation. They are dedicated to helping employers find quality talent in their own backyard and giving job seekers control over their search so they can find work close to home. Great partnership. Thanks, Jobbing.com. For this week's conversation, with me is Dr. Mary Howard, who is the founder of Reading Connections and an educational consultant and author. She's known throughout North America as a leading expert in literacy, presenting seminars as an independent consultant and for the Bureau of Education and Research in all 50 states and across Canada. Dr. Howard has worked for, with countless educators to create a research-based literacy program, and she has been an educator for more than 40 years, which includes experience teaching and tutoring, and work as a reading consultant, university reading instructor, professional storyteller, author, and nationwide lecturer. Dr. Mary Howard, it is so great to have you with me. Welcome to Working on Purpose. Thank you so much, Elise. It's wonderful to be here. Um, We really need to shine a spotlight on education, so I'm so grateful to you for doing that. I couldn't agree more. And of course, you know, I have to give a a nice shout out to our common mutual friend, Kimberly Davis, who brought us together. Remember this? I, I sent you a tweet um, I don't know when it was. I think it was March or February, something like that. I was sitting here with Kimberly at my home, and we were talking about passion and work and somehow education. And she goes, boy, when you put those together, you have to talk with Mary Howard. And that's when we sent you the tweet and invited you to the show. <laughs> was I definitely remember that, and that's such a wonderful connection. Kimberly has uh, been somewhat life-changing, and her work in being brave has really been life-changing, and I love that she's moving into the education arena and helping teachers to uh, to find their brave. We need that right now. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. So she's a nice common person to add into this this lovely dialogue today. Um, and I do want to I want to kick us off here if we can, Mary. And again, I appreciate that I have the privilege of calling you, Mary. I think you're such an accomplished human being. So, I want to talk about your passion for education and really where it came from. So, you know, the thing that I appreciate about you, among other things, is that you know you mentioned to me that you are 66 years old and have no intention whatsoever of retiring. And it just so happens that this is episode 66. So there's some fun, common stuff happening here. So. 
Kick us off, Mary. What's the deal? Oh, with goodness. Education? So that has real meaning to it. You know, <laughs> it I can't does. think of anything that I'd rather talk about than passion. Ivern Ball once said, knowledge is power, but enthusiasm pulls the switch. And mm-hmm. that's been the inspiration for both my professional and personal life. You know, if you ask me, Elise, how to describe myself, and I would have to say from birth, I would use two words, joyfully enthusiastic. And that's gotten me into a lot of trouble as a child, but it's really served me well through my career because it's fueled the passion that's the driving force of my work. And I you know, honestly believe that no matter what work we are privileged enough to do, that passion is the key because it inspires me to know more, to do more, to understand more, to seek more of all of those things day after day and year after year. So really, the truth is, I've just spent the last 45 years in enthusiastically joyful, passionate quest. That's really been, you know, the, the driving force of everything I do. Um, that, you know, one of the things that you asked me about is where that passion might have come from to the point that I don't want to retire. And, um, gosh, I have to think, why, why would I be so passionate about the work that I do? Well, I get to spend, get to, and I'm choosing that word on purpose. I get to spend the bulk of my time with people who make a difference in the lives of children, and I get to spend my time with children who give our work wings and heart. And I get to do the work that still makes me excited to get out of bed every morning. I get to support teachers, and I get to see the inspired work that they do, in spite of all of the distractions that might impede their view from time to time. I get to do what makes my heart sing every day. And so... You know, I don't, I don't think it's possible not to be passionate when you have that feeling of being, I don't know if driven is the word, but in a way it is. But I, I want to add one more thing to that. I have to take responsibility to nurture and protect my passion. I can't take the chance that it's ever going to wane. And that's why I'm still doing this work. To do that, I, sur- I do exactly what you do. I surround myself with passionate others, and I avoid passionless peace people. I have been so lucky to spend my time around amazing people, but I seek them out. I'm in a Voxer group with teacher friends because they inspire me. I co-moderate a weekly chat, and I write a blog with two amazing educators, Amy Brennan and Jen Hayhurst, because they inspire me. I'm first in line to buy educational books because they inspire me. So I seek those things out. I don't think that it's possible in your line of work or my line of work to just sit back and wait for passion to tap us on the shoulder. I have to feed my passion and hold on to it for dear life. So I do that every single day. 
Oh my gosh, Mary, that is such a wonderful and important point to drive home to our listeners who are out there because many many people who listen to this show are looking to find their passion and they're trying to find some ways to tap into it. And what you just said there is you are actively stoking your furnace. And I think that's wonderful. Once you're once you're there, you don't want to lose it. And I think that's a great point for us to drive home to our listeners. So thank you for that, Mary. What a great way to start the show. Thanks. Well, and I think it makes a difference in any line of work that we don't, mm-hmm. you know, we don't just wait. I've always felt that passion has always kind of tapped me on the shoulder, but I tap it on the shoulder too. And I know Gary Keller has written a wonderful book called The One Thing. And he said the line between passion and skill can be blurry. And I think that's so true. The more passionate I am about my work, the more skillful I become in doing it because it pushes me to be in a perpetual state of becoming. See, I'm not the teacher that I envisioned 45 years ago. Not yet. I'm not there, and it will probably take another 45 years. But I think, for me, that's where passion comes from, to believe that you are always reaching for, you know, you're moving along that journey with no end in sight. I love that. I love that the teacher I could be is always just out of reach waiting for me to move towards it. So how could I retire? How could Mm -hmm. I possibly retire when that teacher is beckoning me to come a little bit closer and a little bit closer to what I could be? And I like the fact that I will never be there. Mm-hmm. I totally understand that. And that gets to my love of identity as well. That striving to become who we could be. Uh, I knew you were going to be a wonderful guest, Mary. Thank you. Well, this is a wonderful topic. So it, uh, it, it's easy to talk about passion. And, you know, I feel that so many people are, are looking for passion in their work, whether they're, you know, interviewing or they're working in a business or they're going, uh, no matter what they do. I mean, I have seen people who are, and it doesn't matter where you're working. I have seen people that are searching for passion. And I think sometimes we just have to keep our eyes and ears open to what could potentially um, be that indoor to mm-hmm. passion, but we can't mm-hmm. wait for us to, we can't wait for it to come and get us. I think we have to be open to seeking what's going to make us really passionate. Mm-hmm. I agree, which is why I'm hosting this show. Well, I want to ask you, I, I had a couple other people on the show previously who talked a little bit about this, but I would love to hear your perspective on this. What do you think are some of the most pressing opportunities or problems that need to be addressed in education today? Mm, goodness. Pressing opportunities and problems both abound in education in this day and age. For me, the good news is that opportunities and problems work hand in hand if we choose to view them that way. And what I, I mean by that, Elise, is that problems offer opportunities and opportunities help us address problems. We're definitely in a state of utter unrest, the likes of which I haven't seen since early in my career. 
a period that was dubbed the Reading Wars, or also known as the Phonics Whole Language Wars. This new bout of unrest began in 2001 with the No Child Left Behind Act, and we're still trying to recover. To make matters even worse, this unrest was exacerbated by the more recent full-scale statewide implementation of what is known as the Common Core State Standards. Now, to be clear, I, I want to emphasize that the standards themselves aren't the problem, since the goals of the standards generally reflect what good teachers have always done. For me, the problem and what has always been the problem in education is the way that it's being interpreted and implemented, and the fact that anyone can do that interpretation and implementation, whether they know anything about good teaching. So for me, one of the biggest problems was, um, (laughs) there's such a great line from Thomas Newkirk, and he said it better than I ever could. He said, bad things happen to good ideas when they become mandates. And that is especially true in education. So these two events have had serious repercussions. So let me just start with the problems, and then I want to move to the opportunities. First problem is that more time is now being spent in schools testing children than ever before, and it's to the detriment of good teaching. If the tests that we were doing were helping us to be better teachers, and to know how to do a better job of the work that we're doing, that would be one thing. But there are so many tests that we don't have the time to do the real work, which is the teaching. The second problem is that standards raise the stakes for college and career ready to the point. And this, for me, is one of the biggest problems that I'm seeing right now. The very things that we stand for in education... And at the top of my list would be joyful, voluminous, enthusiastic reading. They've gotten the short shrift. And worst of all, and it's complicating all of these things, there has been a virtual marketplace frenzy of scripted programs that have contributed to, the only word I can think of to use is um, instructional silliness. So before our eyes, Education has become a multi-billion dollar industry, and I've seen excellent teachers who feel like they've lost their voice. I've been doing this a long time, and I can tell you that you can't script high-quality teaching any more than you can script high-quality work in the business arena. When you're talking to me, you're not talking from a script. You're talking from the heart, and that's true in education, too. So the result for me is twofold, creating a generation of teachers who choose not to think because they don't believe that they can, or amazing teachers who are leaving the field because their instructional voice is being silenced. So that's kind of a big, a big bundle of problems, and there are problems that really have been going on um, since 2001 with No Child Left Behind. Okay, so those are the problems, but I wear rose-colored glasses. I have to tell you, that's one of the reasons I have no intention of retiring. I'm glad. Because I wear rose-colored glasses, so 
I see the possibilities and the opportunities that are buried in the muck and the mire. So the opportunity is that we do still have a voice, and we do still have a choice. And the realization from teachers of what I just said, that you have a voice and you have a choice, is our best opportunity to emerge victorious. No matter what is mandated, teachers can still walk into their classrooms and do the right thing for children. I see teachers do that day in and day out because they know that the real work of excellent teaching occurs in the trenches when we are eyeball to eyeball with little faces who are looking at us to do the right thing. And no one, nothing, and no one can convince me otherwise. No one can take that away from us. And I believe that doing the work that matters is every child's birthright. My mouth sometimes gets me into a lot of trouble in education, (laughs) but I think that we have to speak up. We can't afford to be silent. You know, there's what we do uh, when, when we're talking about children, living, breathing children in classrooms everywhere. You know, all of the things that I talked about problems, we have to speak up and say, children having opportunities to read books for the sheer joy and pleasure of reading, that's important. We don't have to give that up. We don't have to um, define children by those numbers and scores and tests. We don't, we don't have to do that. Not when, we, not when we go into those classrooms and we do what really matters. As, as you can see, I'm incredibly passionate about this issue in particular because I think that the problems and the opportunities are going to make the difference between our success and not our failure because I don't believe, I do believe that we will emerge from that muck and the mire, but it's going to make the difference of whether we are able to do it in a timely fashion because I just think we have too much to lose if we don't. I agree so much, Mary, and I want to talk more about that, um, but it's already time for our first break. So hold your thought on that. We'll talk more after the break. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Dr. Mary Howard, the founder of Reading Connections and an educational consultant and author of 40 years experience in the field. She is the author of RTI from All Sides and Good to Great Teaching. We've been talking about really her perspective and her passion about teaching. As you can see, it's quite palpable. After the break, I want to talk more about really some of the common things that have maybe come out in other works and also her career and what she does in her seminars. Stay with us. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. 
To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us today, my guest is Dr. Mary Howard, who is the founder of Reading Connections and an educational consultant and author. She is known throughout North America as a leading expert in literacy with 40 years of experience in the field. And she now presents seminars as an independent consultant and for the Bureau of Education and Research. She joins us today from Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. I want to chime in on what you were talking about before the break there, Mary. You were talking, we were talking about some opportunities and problems in education. And I want to just say that handily, just yesterday, I had a wonderful opportunity to listen to uh, another author, Sir Ken Robinson, speak yesterday in Philadelphia at Insignium's Executive Summit Conference. And he was talking about um, the fact that in today's world, today's business world, creativity is just so important and frankly lacking. And tra- he traces it back to maybe a, a gap um, in and, and how we are educating students. And he also does trace it back to maybe some of that that standardized testing that you were talking about and how that maybe. Um, deflects from the ability to really get to and encourage creativity and imagination. And then, of, of course, there's the arts piece, too, the, 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 the notion of maybe not spending as much time on arts as maybe we used to. But I don't know if you have any commentary on that, but I th- certainly thought it was timely that I just heard him speak yesterday, and here you are bringing up some of the exact same things that he talked about. Well, and it's interesting that you would bring him up because I I am such a fan of Sir Ken Robertson, and he said, I'm sorry, I don't remember the exact quote, but something to the effect that um, we don't grow into creativity, uh, but grow out of it, something like that. And he was referring to the idea that, um, in fact, I think he used the word something about we get educated out of it. And I think that's so very true um, in, in too many classrooms. And I want to emphasize in too many classrooms, we're so busy trying to um, con- create a culture of children who conform to what we want. And, you know, the truth is in my work as an educator, creativity is a huge part of what I do. Um, in order to be an effective teacher, just from my end of it, I have to be able to think outside the box. Now, I see a lot of schools working to that end now, but I do worry a great deal 
that he has reason for us to be concerned and that we should really pay attention to that. And you mentioned the arts. There are so many schools right now who are letting go of art education and music education and um, all of the things that allow us to promote and to build and to nurture and I would say to celebrate creativity. And what's happening with the testing is that we're, we're using numbers to actually create boxes of children, the haves and the have-nots. Um, and so we've, we're looking at children in terms of their test score, and we've got some children who are going to do very poorly on those tests but are so incredibly creative, have such creativity. So I couldn't agree more that we're really losing that in schools. And a lot of it has to do with what I had talked about with No Child Left Behind and the Common Core State Standards. Um, But again, I see a lot of excellent teachers who make creativity and teaching into creativity. I see a lot of excellent teachers doing that. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that goes along with with what Sir Robinson was saying. He was saying that the kids certainly have creativity in abundance. It's just that it gets somehow lost as we go along as adults. And you were saying that. So um, I would be curious, and I think our listeners would as well. I want to know what you're doing to help teachers find their passion in the classroom. What what is it that you're actually doing in your work to help that along? Well, I, I see my work with teachers very much like I see my work with children and I'm not suggesting that teachers are children. What I'm saying is that the first thing I have to do is to put myself in their shoes. So when I go into a school, whether it's to work in classrooms or it's to do a seminar, I I believe very strongly, and, and this really goes into the idea of creativity in the, you know, in a professional sense. It's not my job to criticize what they're doing. It's my job to support them where they are. And so I want to ensure teachers are, um, I want to make sure that they have the best and most current information that is available to us as educators so that they can make the best possible decisions given what we know. I don't think that schools are spending, and that comes back to another problem, I guess, but I don't think that schools are spending enough time to give them that information. And most importantly, I want them to think. I don't want them to just act. I don't want them to just grab a book. I want them to think about, is this the best book in this moment for these children? I want them to be reflective. So let's see, in terms of what I do, the first thing I have to do is to be a model, what it means to be a lifelong learner. So I make it very clear that I don't know everything. And and that's an important message from them. But I want them to know I'm working hard every day, right along beside you. I'm working hard to understand the work that I do every single day, given the knowledge that I have right now. So probably the first thing is that I won't ask anything of them that I'm not willing to do. And I carry my thirst for knowledge in my back pocket. And I model that to them. And I'm not afraid to say, you know, I'm not sure. 
but we need to explore that. I think the second thing that I have to do is um, make sure that they understand that they can and they do make a difference and that they can make decisions in their classroom. And, and I said earlier, I think that many teachers don't feel that they can. So I want them to know that the experiences, and, and I mean all of their experiences, whether it's their concerns, their successes, their struggles, I want them to know that those experiences are a powerful springboard. You know, Tomlinson and McTie said, it's not our job to seek perfection, but we're seeking the pursuit and the persistence of understanding things, and, and that never ends. And the third thing is, and this is really important for me, I can't just talk the talk. I have to walk the walk. I spend time in schools with children, and it, it's difficult for teachers to look at me and feel that I understand what they're doing if, if I'm not going into the classroom. So I work with children. I work uh, with children in front of teachers. I work with children beside teachers. Um, I have to be in the trenches to understand from their eyes. And that's so important because I'm not there to tell them what to do. I don't want them to be merry. I want them to be themselves. Um, and then finally, and that's the most important thing, and we keep coming back to this idea of passion, it's, it's my job to live and breathe passion so that it shines through and it permeates the very air that they breathe. They have to know that I'm grateful to be there and that I'm grateful that they're there with me, learning not just from me, but with me. So those are the messages that I want teachers to know. I'm not telling them what to do. I want to stand side by side with them to understand this wonderful work that we do. I get the distinct feeling, Mary, that it kind of feels like a bit of magic when you when you come into contact with these teachers. I like kismet or something. There's just this wonderful sensation that you have spread some charm to them via this passion and in, in, in what you do that I is so incredibly palpable and beautiful. And I'm so glad you're sharing it with me and, and our listeners. It's beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. And by the way, it's a two way street. I get as much from them as they get from me. Um, when I walk away from a seminar and I am just feeling my heart pound with excitement, then you know, I feel like every school I go into, I'm taking something away with me. And I'm, I'm a better human being when I leave than I was when I was there in the first place. And I would like to believe that, that they are as well. So it's definitely a two-way street. And that is the best kind of work. I completely understand that, feel the same way when I'm, when I'm doing my best as well. Completely get that, Mary. Yes. Well, and I do want to talk about, you mentioned your, your seminars. I definitely want to be, make sure that our listeners get some idea of what happens in those literacy seminars. Can you give us maybe like a high overview, like a high level overview of some of the kinds of things that you're trying to drive home in those seminars? What is it you're trying to, to teach? I know you can't comment, go into everything, but high level, what is it? Well, probably high level are some of the things that I just shared with you. The first thing that I want to do 
my seminars are specifically in the teaching of reading. And I've always believed that it's important for us to really focus on, I don't, I don't want to, uh, you know, be the knower of all things. I want to spend my time developing, developing my own understanding in one particular area. And for me, that's reading. So the first thing I want them to know is information. Um, But a big part, I will tell you one thing that I don't believe that I have ever done a seminar before without saying to teachers, no matter how busy you are, there are two things that you must do every single day. And we can't make any excuses about time. The first one is children need to choose books that they love and read every single day. And when I say read, I'm not talking about filling out a worksheet when they're finished. I don't know about you, but I don't think I have ever read a book and then just thought, oh, I hope somebody gives me a worksheet (laughs) to fill out when we're finished. So the first thing is that they have a chance to read every single day. The second thing is that I want to make sure that teachers read to children every single day, every single day. So, you know, I, in this age and time when teachers are, and this is a real struggle that schools face, they're being handed stuff. They're being handed things in too many schools instead of being helped to understand that no matter what we do, no matter what we choose to do, no matter what we use to teach, if we don't help children to feel a sense of joy and enthusiasm and passion, all of the things that I have as an educator, if we don't help them to love reading, and not just in school, but at home, Nothing we are ever going to do is going to matter. So for me, that is, uh, that's like the heartbeat of my seminars. And, you know, as I said, it doesn't matter what I'm talking about. I'm going to say to teachers, you have got to make sure that children are becoming, uh, becoming readers. We're not just teaching them to read, we're helping them to become readers and to live a life of uh, joyful reading. And that's the piece that in this day and age with so many mandates and so many obligations, and, you know, uh, uh, it, it, it goes back to understanding that the choices that we make have a tremendous impact on children. So, my gosh, what do they get? Well, the first thing I hope that they get is the feeling that their time is well spent. Um, I don't want to go in and show them stuff. I want to go in and help them to be inspired and motivated and excited about reading so that they can go back into their classrooms and put it in action. I want to share research 
so they know why I'm sharing what I'm sharing, but I want them to be joyfully curious about what that's going to look like with real children in a real classroom. And that means that we have to make choices. We have to decide how are we going to spend our day in schools. And, and again, that goes back to creativity. If, if we're not helping children to, you know, become the individual's that they will become someday and go out into the work specter and, and create a sense of passion in whatever they choose to do. I think we're making, I think we're making a huge mistake. So I don't say use this program, use this package. I say find a beautiful book. I remember, um, wonderful Kyleen Beers who is very big in education, she said, a principal asked me, what program do I recommend? And she said, (laughs) B-O-O-K. And and I guess I would say that's my answer to you. What do I do? I say, (laughs) let's get, let's take all of the beautiful, wonderful books that we can get our hands on and let's just sprinkle book dust all over children and let's give them time to read. And I'm not just saying let's, let's read all day, but I'm saying then let's do things with those books that are going to help them to be more enthusiastic learners, more proficient learners, um, more, you know, joyful learners. And, and I think that's something that we have to pay attention to. Every single day. I love this. And I got to tell you, right now, Twitter is going crazy with people listening live to the show right now. First, let me say one thing real quick. Um, I loved reading to my daughter when she was young. I still do today. Of course, she's 13 now, but that was a huge thing. And so what you just talked about, reading what she wants to hear about was so important. And then have her read back to me. But let me just acknowledge a few of these wonderful people that have been listening to the show and tweeting about this conversation. Jay Dolce is out there talking about us. Um, we have also uh, Jar Hearts talking about us. Um, we have Fran McVeigh weighing in on conversation on Twitter. Girl World 4. Um, those people, I really appreciate you listening to the show. I knew you would love listening to Dr. Mary Howard. She's amazing. But um, those people are weighing in um, to the very things that are being discussed as we talk right now. Isn't that fun? It is fun. And that's why I love this work. I love this work because, and I particularly see that on Twitter, there are teachers. You know, teachers, educators are getting such bad press today. And I'm telling you that I'm out there in schools, and I'm out there with teachers, and I'm out there on Twitter. And I'm telling you, there are amazing, amazing, passionate educators everywhere. And those are the teachers. Those are the teachers. I mean, there's, there's some in every field. There's some in every field that are not going to do the work that is important. But I'm telling you, I see teachers that get me so excited about what I'm doing, that make me want to keep doing more of it. They're out there, and those are the teachers that we should be talking about. 
I agree, Mary, and a perfect way for us to cue up our, our next and final break here. Hang on there to that. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Dr. Mary Howard, who is the founder of Reading Connections and an educational consultant and author. She is known throughout North America as a leading expert in literacy, presenting seminars as an independent consultant and for the Bureau of Education and Research in all 50 states and across Canada. She is the author of RTI from All Sides and Good to Great Teaching. We want to talk about those two books after the break and if we can learn more about just really how she got into the educational space. She's got a fun story if we've got time to listen to that. Stay with us. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning, healthy living power hour. Star Style Be the Star You Are with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. If you're just tuning in now, my guest is Dr. Mary Howard, who is the founder of Reading Connections and an educational consultant and author. She is known throughout North America as a leading expert in literacy with 40 years of experience under her belt in the field and now presents seminars as an independent consultant. She joins us today from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we've been talking a lot about her passion and what she does in the classroom with teachers, which is just hopelessly inspiring and wonderful to listen to. 
Um, we've had a lot of interaction from our listeners via via Twitter, so that's been a fun conversation. For this last and final segment, if we can, Mary, I'd love to hear a little bit about the two books that you wrote, and also if we have time at all. I know you have a fun story about really how you really got started in in teaching way back when you were going to college. So, um, first things first, um, you wrote a book called RTI from All Sides. Uh, can you help me understand first what's RTI and what is this book about? What were you trying to talk about? Well, RTI is referred to as response to intervention, and it rose out of the Individuals with Disabilities Education Improvement Act of 2004. It allows schools to create a system of support, and we generally use what we call tiers, to um, ensure the success of every child. And really, part of it is to ensure that children are not placed in support systems or special ed or anything else because we're not doing what we need to do. So it was a very hot topic at the time. This was, um, as soon as it came out, I just poured myself into it. And I was very excited about it until I started seeing it implemented in classrooms. And so I was having a conversation with a very good friend of mine, Linda Hoyt, and I was sharing with her my concerns for response to intervention, the way that it was being implemented, and um, and that's how the book came to be, um, which was an interesting journey as a writer that I never expected to um, to enter. But it was a wonderful experience, and I think the main thing in that book is that it's not what we do that matters, it's why and how we do it. And so if we're looking at response to intervention as a system, and I see this so often, let's buy this program, let's buy this, uh, purchase this, let's do this, and let's just have a list of things that we do, uh, for me, the focus of the book was, no, let's do better, be better at the work that we do, let's know kids from the core, and then let's teach the children that we are lucky enough to have in front of us. So I think that was probably um, the driving force of response to intervention and, and really the driving force of everything that I do. Let's not just focus on what we do. Let's know why we're doing it, and then let's do it in really effective ways in the best interest of children and not just buy more. Uh, understand more. Um, and I'm still fighting that, that RTI battle of excellence. We have a long way to go. Um, we do have a long way to go. But the book was really kind of a, um, a love song <laughs> to mm-hmm. educators who are doing the right thing and saying we have to make sure that we are doing what is going to elevate the learning lives of children no matter what we do and no matter how we choose to do it. We have to make sure that it's about children. I love that comment. You just keep saying that, and it's so obvious and that this is really just really where you come from and what a beautiful match. It's no wonder, A, that you have been able to have the impact that you have, Mary, and been as successful as you have, but also, too, why you have a presence all across North America. It's, it's so important. I'm so glad to cross paths with you. Oh, I am, too. And it, it's been, you know, it's just been a blessing to have the opportunities that I've had, and I'm so grateful um, for all of them. Um, and was that RTI book your first book? That was my very first book. It was, okay. um, like I said, I didn't set out to write a book, but someone said to me when I said I'm a speaker, I'm not a, 
uh, a writer, someone said two things. She said, uh, my editor said, then write the way you talk. And I thought, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and the second thing she said was, you have a chance to say what you're saying to me. And, and the kind of things I'm saying to you, you have a chance to say that to the to educators. And, and that's what made me think, wow, you know, to have a voice to, uh, and, and really the very things I'm telling teachers, have a voice and use it. Have a voice and use it. Mm-hmm. Now, what about good to great teaching? That came out next, and I, mean, I don't know how, it was it 2013? That was published in 2012. Now, the interesting 12. thing mm-hmm. about that book was that I was about I uh, already had a proposal, and I was about to start another book on RTI. And, in fact, I mentioned Linda Hoyt. Um, when I told her about my idea, she said, that's your book. I had just read a book by Michael bon- uh, Bungay-Stanier called Do More Great Work, and he said that there's only three kinds of work that are possible, bad work, good work, and great work. So that's really the message of the of the 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 book, that we have only three kinds of things we can do. We can do bad work, and bad work is anything that has no benefit to children. Um, giving them a workbook page, asking them to fill out ten questions without thinking. We can do good work, or we can do great work. And so I spent an entire year going into schools, three schools across the country, helping teachers move from being good teachers to great teachers. And a big part of that job was to help them to alleviate the things that were not giving them um, the uh, children the opportunities they needed. Uh, One of the lines in my book is that um, we have to make a choice. We have to say no to the work that matters, that doesn't matter, so that we can say yes to the work that does. So, you know, recently, A.J. Giuliani had a um, amazing, he has an amazing blog, and he had a little poster up, and, and this is a good way to explain the motivation of the book. He said, it just said that students spend 14,256 hours in school between kindergarten and graduation. Now, that was several years after my book was published, but that, for me, is the reason for the book. We have only so many precious hours. We've been given a gift, and we've been given the gift of time. And we can either fritter it away, and we can waste children's time, or we can say, I am not going to do anything that wastes time in the life of a child. So, really, that says my book in a nutshell. That's what it was all about. Oh my gosh, that is so crisp and wonderful. And I, of course, I appreciate that message tremendously. And I like how you bucketed those three things. I think that does help teachers to determine where shall I spend my time today and every day. Absolutely. Um, I, mm-hmm. I look forward to reading it, Mary. That's wonderful. Well, in our, our last bit of time together, we've only got perhaps five minutes left together, if you can believe that, how fast it's evaporated. I would love for you to share the story you shared with me when we first spoke about really kind of your entree into the field of education. And I know it starts with your father, who is a retired colonel in the Air Force, telling you that he and your mother expected you to spend at least one year in college, thank you very much, and at the time you didn't want to go and didn't enjoy it, but there was some experience in there that kind of helped shape your career. And then there's one 
friend that came along the way that also really shaped you entering the, the education field. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, that story? Yes. Well, first, I have to proceed that by saying my own experiences, K-12, through were not very pleasant. So the last thing I wanted to do was go to college. Um, I was in love, and I wanted to get married and ride off into the sunset with my Prince Charming. And so um, if you've never had a father for a colonel, you don't fully understand that when I went home and said, <laughs> I'm not going to college, <laughs> um, you, you don't do that with a colonel. So my father said, um, he didn't even skip a beat and said, no, you will go to college for one year. But brilliant man that it was, he softened the blow and said, at the end of one year, if you want to quit and ride off into the sunset to marital bliss, you know, then you have my blessing. So I thought, well, this is great because I'm going to flunk out in three months. So I, you know, was sure I was going to come back and get married. And uh, they actually dropped me off at school, which I couldn't believe. And um, <laughs> I remember sitting in the middle of the university just sobbing, thinking that I was the most mistreated child in the entire world, a dream shattered by the colonel. But then it hit me. And that's where um, a, a little girl named Shirley comes in. Uh, I, when I lived in Vicenza, Italy, uh, I was 1957 to 1960, so I was in uh, first and second grade. I was a bit of a loner. So one day we got a new student, and her name was Shirley. Now, Shirley uh, had, um, was just an amazingly wonderful child, and she had Down syndrome, but I didn't see anything different about Shirley. All I knew is that it was a match made in heaven. So Shirley literally changed the direction of my life, but I didn't know it then. So when I was sitting under that tree, feeling like my parents had just ruined my life, and I just couldn't believe I was going to have to endure this, I got this incredible image of Shirley. And Elise, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Oh my gosh, I want to be a special ed teacher. So that changed the trajectory of my life. And, um, you know, Shirley inspired so many of the choices that I made in college even. I volunteered at a day school for children who had Down syndrome, and Shirley was the inspiration for that. So through my career, all of my career has been spent with in special education, in support classrooms, in resource classrooms, as a reading specialist. I believe so strongly that, that Shirley changed the course of my life. Of course, you know, my father probably supported that life and, um, I mean, that change in direction. But it was an amazing thing because I, what I realized, sitting there all alone, sobbing in the middle of the university, I realized, oh my gosh, I want to help other kids who struggled in school and, by the way, who hated reading, all the way through high school, I would rather you have put a coal in my eyes than make me read. I want, now, now I am, by the way, a joyful, avid reader, but I became a reader when I began teaching. I want other children. I want to help other children to feel that joy for education that I did not feel in school. And, boy, I really credit my father for that. 
I credit the fact that he was so brilliant to know. I think somewhere deep down he knew that if I could go to school, I would find my place. And I have to tell you, at the ripe old age of 18, um, for the first time in my life, I knew what I wanted to do. And Shirley was the inspiration for what I wanted to do. And, and that was, you know, 45 years ago, actually more like 48, 47, uh, 48, because that was when I was in college. Oh, um, Mary. It just was amazing. Let me stop you there because we're out of time, but I, that is a perfect way to finish this amazing, beautiful show. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you with us. Thank you so much, Elise. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. If you want to learn more about Dr. Mary Howard, and I encourage you to do so, please do visit her website. It's drmaryhoward.com, so D-R-M-A-R-Y, howard.com. She is obviously a remarkable professional who has many talents to share and lots of passion to spread around. Next week, we'll be talking with Wendy Knutson, who is a certified public accountant, about her passion to keep small business owners focused on their why and the profit-first concepts instead of worrying about or spending time on their financial affairs. So you know how I feel about this. Work is a big part of our lives, and Mary has helped us understand really how and why it's important to choose something that we're passionate about. Wonderful lessons in today's show and lots to really think about. Um, I highly recommend any of those books that she mentioned. She mentioned several that she read herself, plus hers. And I look forward to seeing you next week. Remember that work is at least a third of our life, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and manager.